Welcome back to the Megan Wellness Podcast. I am your host, Sarah Megan, And in today's episode, we have on the award-winning author of It Didn't Start With You, Mark Willen. He is a inherited family trauma specialist and is also the director of the Family Constellation Institute. We talk about inherited family trauma, how it can affect you, what the warning signs are, and what steps you can take today to start to heal from inherited family trauma. If you enjoy this podcast today, please recommend it to a friend or anyone that you think could benefit from it. Now, without further ado, let's get into our interview with Mark. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for joining us on the Make and Wellness podcast today. And we are so excited to have you. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I'm happy to be here. So Mark, what is inherited family trauma? So let's say that one of our parents or grandparents had a significant trauma. They lost their mom or their dad when they were young, or maybe our mother or our father, they were sent away or placed in an orphanage when they were young, or maybe one of their siblings died tragically. An event like this can break the heart of the family. And the reaction to the trauma doesn't necessarily stop with the people who experience it. So the feelings and the sensations, specifically the stress response, uh, the way our genes express, this can pass forward to our children, to our grandchildren, affecting them in, in a similar way, even though they personally didn't experience the trauma that we did. And now there's you know, lots of substantial biological evidence um, that demonstrates this. Wow. So it can, it sounds like inherited family trauma could affect and even change your gene expression. Oh yeah. For at least three generations. Wow. So we, we experience something horrific and we don't do our own personal work and we don't deal with it. And our children can be born with our defense, our strategy, our tightness, our hypervigilance, our anxiety, our depression, thinking that it's theirs that they're just wired this way without ever considering that maybe it's something that we went through or our parents have gone through. So what inspired you to get into this work around inherited family trauma? So inspire would be not the word I'd use because it was a great trauma. Um, Like many of us, I had symptoms that I couldn't explain. About 30 years ago, I began to lose the vision in one of my eyes and I was diagnosed with a chronic form of retinopathy. And then, you know, the, the doctors couldn't cure it. And then because of the way it was progressing, they said, you know, you're, you're likely going to lose the vision in your other eye as well. You have the condition in both eyes. And I was pretty freaked out and thinking that I was going to, you know, just be a blind person, which was, okay, I guess at some level, but not back then at 30, you know, so I was desperate to find help. And I went on a search for healing. And this search, you know, it it led me halfway around the globe, literally as far as Indonesia, where I learned from several wise teachers who taught me some fundamental principles, one of which uh, was the importance of healing my relationship with my parents. But, but before I could heal that relationship, 
I had to heal what stood in the way, inherited family trauma, though I didn't know it at the time, but specifically the anxiety that I had inherited from my grandparents, all of whom were orphans, all of whom, uh, you know, three of them lost their mothers when they were babies. And the fourth lost her father when she was one, which means she also loses her mother too, because her mother's grieving. Mm -hmm. And this anxiety, this was the real cause of my vision loss. So just like my parents, I had inherited a feeling of being broken from my mother's love. And this is what passed down in my family. I remember Sarah, you know, being a boy, maybe five or six, feeling panicked. Every time my mom would leave the house, I'd run into her room. I'd pull open her drawers. I'd cry into her scarves, into her nightgowns, thinking that I'd never see her again. And that all that I would have left would be her smell, which would be true for my grandparents whose mothers did die. You know, they probably found a garment and wept into the garment of their mother. And anyway, 40 years later, I shared this with my mom. I said, you know, mom, I, when you would leave the house, I would, I, I would weep into your clothes thinking I'd never see you again. And she said, I did the exact same thing when my mother left the house. And my sister reading the book said, honey, I did that too when mom would leave the house. Oh. And, you know, it was, it was the family pattern of being terrified that there's no mother. And then after healing the broken bond that I had with my mom, you know, a strange thing happened, Sarah. My vision came back. My sight came back. Oh, wow. And then afterwards, I felt compelled to share the principles I'd learned and ultimately developed a method for healing the effects of inherited family trauma. So it was really through your own experience of healing that really made you want to share this message with the world, because if you and your family experienced it, I'm sure there was, there are lots of other families that have also experienced it and didn't have a solution or a guide until you shared it with the world. That was the hope. I wrote the book for people who struggled with mysteries that they couldn't explain. You know, many of us struggle with an anxiety that begins at a certain age or a depression that we can never get to the bottom of, or symptoms that start after we experience a situation that we don't realize it at the time, but it's similar to a trauma that happened in our family history. So I wrote this book to, you know, I kind of see myself as the guy that shines the flashlight, shining it on the symptoms and the behaviors we can't explain, helping people, both uh, clinicians and non-clinicians, recognize the importance of generational trauma and its, uh, its biological effects on subsequent generations. So I've developed this way of looking at trauma language, you know, the language that we use. And I help people become, you know, when they read the book, as you know, they become detectives of their own trauma language that stems from traumatic events. And this helps to explain those mysteries that we're born with or that we live with, uh, unexplained fears, the anxieties, the depressions, the self-injury, the self-harm, the self-sabotaging behaviors, because they're, they, might, they might not always be ours. You know, like the book, like the title of the book, it didn't start with you. A lot of times these symptoms can be residues of trauma in our family history that we've just biologically inherited from our parents and our grandparents. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. So in that book that you wrote, it didn't start with you. You do mention secondary trauma. So what is secondary trauma? So the, okay. As infants, you know, we don't enter the world with a clean hard drive. You know, we, um, there, I'll use a computer analogy. There, there's an operating, an operating system already in place that carries the fallout of the traumas that our parents and grandparents have experienced. And we're born with fears and feelings that don't always belong to us or don't always start with us. So it's secondarily, we're continuing the PTSD of our parents. And you know, why is that? We have to look at the science, Sarah. When mm-hmm. a trauma happens, it, it changes us. Literally, it causes a chemical change in our DNA. And this changes how our genes function, sometimes for generations. So technically, after this horrific event or this trauma, a chemical tag will attach to our DNA and it will tell our cells, hey, because of this terrible thing that happened, let's use these genes and ignore these genes. So we're better enabled to deal with this trauma that just happened. And now the way our genes are affected, it's gonna change how we act or feel. For example, we can become sensitive or reactive to certain situations that are similar to the original trauma, even if that trauma occurred in a previous generation, so that we have a chance of surviving it in this generation. I'll give you an example. If our grandparents came from a war-torn country, So people are being shot, bombs are going off, uniformed men are lining people up in the square, people are being taken away. Our grandparents would develop and pass forward a skill set. And let's say that skill set has good things in it, like sharper reflexes and quicker reaction times and reactions to the violence to help them survive the trauma. Well, the problem is, uh, they're passing forward the skill set so we can survive the trauma they experienced. And the problem is we're inheriting a stress response with the dials set to 10. And here we are prepared for this catastrophe that never arrives because we're born in the suburbs in a safe country. And we rarely make the link that our anxiety, our hypervigilance, our depression, is connected to them. We just think, hey, I, I'm wired this way. Or that, hey, I'm just, I'm just anxious and I'm just jumpy, and um, they don't realize that this is because of an epigenetic change that's occurred due to inherited family trauma. That's right, because as we're learning, memories of the traumas are imprinted. They're imprinted in our fathers and grandfathers' sperm cells and our mother's and grandmother's egg cells. And then this information passes forward to us. And as a result, we can be born with altered brains that prepare us biologically to cope with traumas that are similar to the ones that they experienced. So if someone is experiencing the effects of inherited family trauma, how can someone move forward 
and start to take the steps they need to take in order for the, the, the familial trauma to, to stop with them. So they don't pass that on to their children and future generations and to provide themselves with healing from it. So that's the, what I do in the book. I teach people how to become detectives to figure out what trauma comes from this experience, this, this life experience, and what trauma is passed forward from our parents' and grandparents' life experience. So I teach people to look for um, specifically something that I call core language or trauma language, which is both verbal and nonverbal. And then to heal, uh, then we've got to link this trauma language, this physical or verbal language to um, the event that happened that we're still carrying, you know, what happened to our mom or dad when they were young or before they got married or, before, you know, what happened to them when they were young uh, groom and bride or when they went to have children. And then we've got to heal. And I do this in the third part of the book, which is teach people how to have positive experiences that can change our brain. Mm -hmm. The idea is to uh, have as many positive experiences and let them mean something, let them have meaning for us, and then practice the new feelings and the new sensations that are associated with these positive experiences. Because when we do this, we not only create new neural pathways, we also, and that's important, these are structures, neuronal structures in our brain that send our brain in different directions. We also stimulate the release of feel-good neurotransmitters like uh, serotonin and dopamine and GABA. Uh, we also stimulate the release of feel-good hormones in our body like estrogen or, uh, and oxytocin and even the very genes involved in the body's stress response begins to function in a new way, in an improved way. In other words, we can change the way our DNA expresses. So we've got to have these positive experiences so our brains can heal, our brains can change. So when you mention positive experiences, do you have any sort of common examples of positive oh, yeah. experiences? Um, oh, absolutely. So again, sorry, I don't mean to keep going back to the book, oh, but in the, okay. book I, in the book, I teach people to have practices of receiving comfort and support, um, even when there was none, you know, whether it's support from, you know, recognizing that our mom was traumatized and really she meant the best, but couldn't do it or receiving positive support or comfort from ourself, giving ourself this comfort or from a grandparent or an ancestor or a group of ancestors. I also teach people to have feelings of compassion um, because that's another positive experience that changes the brain. Compassion for ourselves, compassion for what we went through as well as compassion for what happened to our mom and dad when they were little. Um, I also teach people to have a gratitude practice because gratitude, uh, a generosity practice doing something kind for someone every day, a loving kindness practice, uh, practicing mindfulness, ultimately anything that allows us to feel strength or peace or joy inside. 
and that allows us to be curious, allows us to, us to have wonder, because these types of experience feed the prefrontal cortex and can help us reframe the trauma experience, the stress response, so that it has a chance to downregulate. Our brain has a chance to calm down. The idea is to pull traction away from the limbic brain, the limbic system, our overactive amygdala that in traumatized people has often grown two times its normal size. And as you know, the amygdala is that part of the brain that's always feeling scanning for threats and sending out of uh, signals saying threat, 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 prepare, prepare, tighten up, numb out, shut down. And it's doing this to help us, but it's not helping us if we're always living numb or tightened or contracted or empty inside our bodies or disconnected or dissociated. So specifically, we need to pull traction away from the amygdala the limbic brain, and bring engagement to the forebrain, specifically our prefrontal cortex, where we can integrate these new experiences and our brains can change. So if, if there's someone who consistently has their amygdala firing and is in the, just starting the process of implementing these feel-good practices, is there one or two practices that really helps with getting that traction going if they're sure if they're not yeah I can I can tell you that a lot of people struggle with what they didn't get from their moms a lot of people feel their moms didn't hear them my mom didn't see me my mom wasn't there she couldn't stand up to my father she she was weak you know a lot of people have that story mm-hmm. and um, one thing I have people too is to look behind the mother and to see what it is she didn't get that allowed her to not give you what you didn't get. Sometimes I have people put a, you know, lie in bed at night and put a photograph of their mom when their mom was young over their left shoulder. So if they're lying on their pillow, they look up at the ceiling over their left shoulder on their left nightstand or on the left wall or on the left bed frame, tape a picture of their mom and say these words to their mom, whether the mom is living or whether the mom is deceased, um, to say these words, hey mom, and they're talking to their mom's higher self, if you wanna use that word, or they feel this practice being guided in some way, in a spiritual way, they say, hey mom, hold me when I'm sleeping so I can heal this break in the attachment, this break in the bond that we have. Teach me how to trust your love how to receive it, and how to let it in um, without taking care of you, mom, just receiving this love. And that way, you know, because the brain can heal at any age. And if we didn't attach or didn't bond with our mom, it's very likely we can't bond with a partner. We can't attach. So in healing this attachment, we can use visualize, visualize and use a photo because when we visualize the same regions of the brain activate, the same neurons activate, light up. And whether we're visualizing or doing it in real life, our brain doesn't know the difference and our brain just wants the healing. So often we can do it just with visualization. That's one practice I use to help people heal. Another practice might be 
integrating the broken attachment in our body. Because when we've had a break in the attachment, we have defenses and strategies like tightening, defending, armoring our heart, going numb, dissociating, leaving our body. And I call these fragmentations or these defenses or these strategies, we're able to heal them when we do a body-centered practice that allows us to integrate them back into our core. So we have a core because a lot of us are walking around without a core in our body. So I might have us call attention to the being with the uncomfortable sensations in our body, like numbing, uh, defending, tightening, uh, anxiety, uh, sinking, until we can reach, you know, to practice being with the uncomfortable sensations, until we can reach what's beneath them, mm -hmm. the sensations that we all have, which we experience as life-giving, sensations of our body's responses, the pure responses like pulsing, tingling, softening, expanding, our heart beating, our blood flowing, waves of energy, waves of warmth um, going through our body. And then we need to be able to hold these sensations for at least a minute and do it six times a day because that's what the neuroscientists tell us is the minimum. 60 seconds, six times a day. And that can be enough to change our brain and to calm our stress response. You know, I teach this in the book. It's essential that we take time to have positive experiences and then let the sensations of these positive experiences affect us physically, viscerally, and trust the feeling of it in our body, Sarah. It's so important to allow yourself to feel these good feelings and to do it consistently so you can get out of sort of the reptilian cortex of, um, in your brain and to start to feel better. And the more you do it, according to you and all the research that you've done, um, your neural pathways in your brain do change and you literally start to rewire your brain to get out of the trauma and reaction mode to being more mindful and more present and feeling better. Absolutely. We can, you know, as the neuroscientists say, grow the good, the more we grow the good, you know, it's like that beautiful image by Thich Nhat Hanh when he says, in your garden, you have weeds and you have flowers. Which are you going to water? Whatever you water will grow. So we need to water the flowers, the positive experiences, because when we do that, we can get out of our trauma response and we can begin to live in a way where our positive experiences grow and our feelings of miserableness shrink. You know, our feelings of pain and tightness and unhappiness shrink. And then our feelings of well-being begin to grow. And we're able to, when we have a upset, we don't sink as low and we don't stay down as long. And we tend to um, get out of the bad feelings more easily. And we tend to stay in the good feelings longer. So it helps with being more resilient and not getting too low. Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. 
So this was such an amazing conversation, Mark. Um, oh. It's so wonderful getting to learn from you. And I'm sure our audience is so excited to get some answers because inherited family trauma can sound so complex to people that are just starting to learn about it. So I appreciate your, your time. My last question for you, Mark, is how can our community connect with you, the Family Constellation Institute, and get a copy of your book? It didn't start with you. So thank you. Um, my book is everywhere. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's on Amazon. To learn from me and study um, with me, I have trainings that are streamable, a brand new training, actually, that we just put up, which is pretty awesome, on my website, com, And there you can find lots of resources, trainings, and uh, sessions if need be. Plus, if you go to my Facebook page, there's lots of studies that show um, if you want to study this topic and understand what the current science is teaching uh, on Facebook slash Mark Willin, there's all sorts of studies that are showing all the myriad research that's coming to light right now, how we can be affected by what happens to our parents and our grandparents. Wonderful. Thanks so much for sharing those resources with us. And if you're tuning in, please go, go ahead and get yourself a copy of Mark's book. It did not start with you. It is truly a life-changing book and make sure you connect with him on Facebook and online and check out his website as well. Thank you for joining us on the Make and Wellness podcast. We are so excited to have you on and we're so excited to, to support you. Wonderful. Thanks again. So that was my interview with Mark Willin. I hope you found it to be helpful. If you are struggling with trauma or with family trauma, please reach out for help. And please remember to recommend the Make and Wellness podcast and this episode to whomever can benefit from it. We are doing everything in our power to share the word so we can help more people to heal and become happy again. Thanks so much for tuning in and we will connect in the next episode. We appreciate you joining us for this installment of the Make and Wellness Podcast. Help us find more great listeners like yourself by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. Visit makeandwellness.com for more in-depth resources geared towards improving your mental health. We look forward to speaking with you again at our next session.